Welcome to Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners, the podcast for dentists who are ready to take their practice to new heights. Join your host, Stan Kinder, who has worked with the profession over four decades and now represents practice owners interested in exploring a relationship with a DSO. On the show, he explores ways to grow your income and increase the value of your practice. Expect thoughtful conversations with influential guests who are pioneers in the dental industry. From insightful dental consultants to brilliant marketing experts, from accomplished dental practice owners to innovative dental manufacturers, this podcast will bring you a diverse range of perspectives. Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners is here to equip you with the tools and information you need to thrive. Your practice's future begins right here. And now, here's your host, Stan Kinder. Well, uh, first, let me uh, welcome folks to the podcast. Um, another, This is another episode in the series, Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners. My guest today is uh, John Creekmore of uh, Creekmore Wealth Advisors. John, uh, first, let me say thanks. Really appreciate your taking the time to spend a, a few minutes with us today. As, uh you probably gathered from some of the materials that I sent you that the intent of the podcast really is to expose our listeners to subject matter experts that will help them be more successful, whether it's the ability to earn more in their practice, uh, retain and uh, generate returns from their investments, and ideally get them to the place where they can uh, retire comfortably. Probably a good starting point maybe is for you to introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background and talk a little bit about the core strategies or principles behind uh, Creekmore Wealth Advisors and uh, this concept of true wealth. I'll tell you what, it's uh, Stan, first of all, thanks for having me on, really appreciate it and uh, look forward to really just kind of having a great conversation about, you know, how people actually walk through decisions uh, to ultimately get them to that point in life where they're where they're able to really properly invest and set aside resources to live those incredible lives. And, um, you know, I started on this journey way back in 1991 and uh, just following my undergraduate uh, years and uh, started working with a, a large regional brokerage firm up in the Chicagoland area and uh, had a great time there and uh, learned a lot and uh, then transitioned back down closer to home in the central part of Illinois and um, worked with a local CEO of a bank and uh, who has just boomed, quite honestly, over the years, done a phenomenal job in maintaining a very unique culture uh, of their organization. And, uh, and then in January of 1995, we started our own firm, Creamer Wealth Advisors. And I really just had a heart's desire to help people actually walk through great decisions. And obviously, everybody comes to us initially for a financial reason. There's something there. Um, they have a business they're trying to maximize cash flow, or they're trying to harvest the dollars from their organization and apply them for future goal objectives. So they want to do retirement planning, estate planning, portfolio management, whatever it may be. But what I had found staying over the years, and, um, and, and really as far as our client base, we now have at this point over 2,500 clients that are in all 50 states, um, some that live outside the United States. So this is a large body of people that we've been able to survey and watch over the years. And I realized that people really fell in one of two categories. And we were trying to figure out why that was. And so the first category, and let's just say we had two people, and they could even be two dentists, they could be two practitioners. 
And they had very similar businesses on revenue. They had very similar financial statements. They had very similar uh, profit margins within the company. However, one of those clients actually achieved their goal objectives and the timeframes outlined, and the other ones did not. And it just stuck me. And I thought, wow, that is really interesting. Why is that? So we started surveying this large swath of clients that we have to get to that right down as far as from a statistical standpoint, what was the difference in those two types of clients, those that achieved and it truly had contentment and joy, and they were living what I would define as an incredible life, and those that did not. Ultimately, what it came down to is to one thing. And that one thing that we saw that was in every single individual that was able to live that their definition of incredible life and accomplish not just financial goal objectives, but personal goal objectives, was that they were able to clearly identify what their core values were and how those core values were applied on a daily basis. So because of that, we really developed this concept called true wealth. And people think about wealth and what they think about is money, they think about possessions, they think about the asset side of the balance sheet, if you will. And the reality is that is the financial definition of wealth. But true wealth is actually bigger than that. It's all the things in life that money cannot buy. It's the things that are truly significant to an individual. Well, then we really walk through developing a process that helped them actually define what that is to them. Because quite honestly, most people, when you say, what's your definition of true wealth? They're kind of like, huh, what are you talking about? And so it's about giving them a process to actually walk through and define that. And that really is what's unique about Creeper is that we help people define their value position and then help them actually chart a path to realize those goal objectives where they're actually able to live things out. Uh, yeah, I think that's great because clearly, you know, the financial piece is only one dimension. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, I've always heard and generally believe that, you know, financial success is really just a vehicle to give you more time freedom mm -hmm. and the ability to pursue other things that uh, sort of give you pleasure and happiness. Yeah. Uh, and you very often see people get wrapped up in focusing exclusively on the financial piece of the, of the equation and ignore most of the others. In my business, I'm generally working with dentists that are approaching the latter part of their career, really mm -hmm. looking to sort of put a plan in place that's going to give them a transition slash exit strategy on terms that are as favorable to them as they can achieve and that are consistent with their, their other uh, goals and objectives. So let me start by saying, I really appreciate that perspective that you just described, because I think it's incredibly valuable. You know, one of the things that I see with a lot of practitioners is that, you know, over the course of their professional lives, they've got different kinds of things going on, just like most people. You know, in their early years, they're very typically servicing both educational debt or debt related to the purchase of a practice or to uh, establish and build a practice. And then kind of mid-career, they start sort of hitting that point where they're really generating fairly substantial current net income. And then at the latter stage of their career, that it's they're looking to kind of get liquidity on the equity that they've built up over the course of their professional life through selling or transitioning uh, ownership of the practice. And I'm curious, 
you know, from your perspective, how you would describe their needs at those various stages and what, if any, particular solutions or approaches you recommend? Yeah, that's a phenomenal way of phrasing that because the reality is every single one of us, we go through different stages of life. And so with a practitioner, as far as in the dental field, you know, they're in various different stages of life as far as their business life in their career, but also in their personal life. And what we have found over the years is if we can properly align those goal objectives based upon not just time frames, but actually life stages, well, then we're able to help the practitioner transition uh, on how to realize the appropriate goal objectives at the right time. Now, let's kind of take a step back and let's say, what is that first stage? And I think that you really defined it well. The first stage is really foundational. And that is where a practitioner is going to be establishing their business. Um, but in doing so, there's a large amount of startup cost. It may be purchasing into a practice. It may be taking over a practice. It may be joining a practice. Um, typically, there's some level of startup capital that is required at that point in time. On top of that, we also have the educational cost that is sitting there with, for a lot of folks, in some type of a loan form. And so we have a lot of outflow. But when we look at the stage of life on the personal side, it's also not an inexpensive period of life either. And so for a lot of folks at that stage of life, we're talking about uh, potentially buying our first home. We're talking about having vehicles. Um, with a lot of folks in that stage of life, if they're blessed and they um, have the ability to expand family, uh, we're talking about additional expenses there. Um, and so we have a lot of expenses and a lot of outflow. So in those situations, we say, what are the highest priority items um, that need to be accomplished there financially? However, we can only have that conversation with saying, what is the ultimate goal? Now, a lot of times that goal may be, some folks may look long-term and they might look 25, 30 years down the road. And I think it's great to have that. But the reality is that's so far in the future that we need to work on the close time period granular steps in order to set proper patterns of proper found financial foundation to be able to actually move forward to that ultimate goal. And yep. so by properly identifying that, we can say, let's now walk through proper steps. Now, we let's, let's say one of those goal objectives is simply to pay down debt as quickly as possible. However, that might that's a very good goal objective to pay down unnecessary debt that's unproducing as quickly as possible. But the reality is that may be a poor overall holistic decision for all the various goal objectives that you have in the short, intermediate, and long term. So it's a matter of aligning those decisions to get to the best decision. That's why it's critical um, to make sure as one of our core principles, number four, is to be open to wise counsel. That's why it's critical to work with um, an experienced individual, such as Stan, as an example, that has got tremendous experience in the field to say, okay, you're now in this entry stage. Let's kind of walk through these decisions of how that's going to actually set us up for much faster success as far as on our intermediate and long-term goals. But then as we transition, all of a sudden, the stage of life transitions, and that's where those goal objectives need to be revisited. Now, Whenever we kind of say we need to plan stuff on our true our true wealth definition, the reality is that's based upon core values. So core values at the end of it, that is who you are. That's the things that are most important to you. Your core values, most of the time, over time, do not change. However, the way that you live it out in the stage of life may look different because the circumstances you're walking through at each stage of life is different. And so you always want to make sure your core values are defined. And then as you go through those stages of life for foundation, 
all the way to building, all the way through finishing. Uh, so think about building a house, it's foundational, then you frame it up and then you finish it off with a nice inside. It's the same way as far as on your business, your practice, as you go through those stages, core values stay the same. However, your action steps change as the circumstances of life change. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because I think that that core value question also uh, can dictate how they how they approach their business. Because so often I see practitioners sort of get caught on this treadmill, uh, you know, constantly trying to run faster to mm -hmm. earn better income. They fall into that consumption-driven lifestyle where, you know, got to have the big house, big car, et cetera, et cetera. And they get to the end of the road and find that there's really not necessarily a lot there. And, you know, I have reached a point in life where physically and health wise, you know, they're not able to do some of the things that they might have wanted to do much mm -hmm. earlier in their lives. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the industry statistics that you see a lot is that fewer than 10 percent, in fact, it's closer to 5 percent, I believe, of dentists are able to retire comfortably. Um, on a timeline that they uh, they most desire. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what do you think is underneath that or what drives it? And I guess what advice would you give people to try and avoid that kind of outcome? You know, I think that a lot of it's foundational. And so one, one key principle I really hold to in my personal life that I encourage our all of our staff here at Creamer Wealth and all of our clients is I, I never want to look at past decisions and say shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, I, I don't think there's anything profitable from that. You always want to be evaluating decisions to say how we can get better, but never allow it to actually beat you up. So if you're at that point in life, it's like, boy, I wish I would have. Well, you know, I, I get that. I understand that outcomes may have been different, uh, but we need to look at the moment and say, what is the best decision to make? Now, for those that are, maybe they're not at that end point in career, but they're at the early, one of the earlier stages I really think that what we see, in particular as far as in the medical field, um, and it's not, it's, it's very true, your stats are so interesting, and it, it really holds true, even for my personal acquaintances in the dental field, um, is that from a financial perspective, because of the heavy investment and the heavy time commitment to head into the field, what we see is that they start off with a larger debt load as far as early on. And then we have payments from that debt. So once we start making the income, that is that acquires a lot of our free cash flow to be used to pay debt. And so those dollars cannot be deployed to actually reinvest back into the business, nor can they be redeployed to harvest from the business to be invested in different areas. But then we also have the time frame. And so going through to become a dentist, as an example, um, the, as far as the educational element, that takes the years to get prepared before we're ready to launch. And in that period of time, we're not making the income that we need to, need to make in order to develop a great financial foundation. So without that, then now also we're starting a little bit later. So we don't have the time for compounding interest, if you will, as a solution, nor do we have the time to allow a small business to really incubate and grow. But then we have a large amount of resources going to pay down debt. So I think that's really, um, that's a challenge. I think the first step I would do is I, heading into the field is I would recognize those two items. And I would say, what decisions can we make 
that help us to either A, accelerate time periods before we start receiving a larger piece of compensation, and there are educational constraints, I recognize that, but also then what are the things that we can do early on to make sure that the debt that we have, whether it be educational um, or whether it be um, startup capital, um, what is it we can do in structure, proper structure, to make sure that those payments are not hindering us from actually reinvesting back into our net worth? Um, I think that's critical to recognize it, and most folks don't. What we usually see is all of a sudden we get out, um, I've invested time, and, so, and we, have, we have a lot of uh, personal friends in the dental field that actually had uh, their education paid for to a certain extent by service in the military. And so that may have taken eight, 12 years as far as walking through that. And so in doing that is to recognize that we see a lot of folks, and I was just talking to one of my best friends as a neurosurgeon uh, last night, and this had a new resident come in uh, to their practice. And they said, John, and it's crazy. And my brother-in-law, he's an orthopedic. We had the exact same conversation two weeks ago with a new orthopedic. It's like they all of a sudden come in and we have all this time, the hard work it takes. Man, is it ever hard to walk through your, your medical or dental uh, education. All the sacrifice to get there. Now I signed a contract. I already have a certain level of income coming in. And it's like, I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The high end item, it may be the car, it may be the house, it may be, um, maybe that's coming from spouse. And I, I get that. Um, but we see that all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's take a step back and consider how that decision is going to impact us, not just for tomorrow. We might have a good feeling right in the moment, but how yeah. is that decision going to impact us financially to be able to move forward? And whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And yeah. so I think that you have to recognize that. I, I yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I uh, there's a statistic the American Dental Education Association said in 2019, which is four years ago now, the average uh, graduating dentist finished with debt on the order of two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. Mm. Wow, total educational debt. My uh, daughter-in-law is a physician, and. She finished med school. It's probably been uh, 12 or 13 years ago now. And she had $200,000 of educational debt mm -hmm. when she got out and, you know, is still paying that down. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think uh, that's a very on point perspective that you described. Tell me a little bit about your background and maybe a little bit more about uh, uh, Creekmore. I know that you got degrees in uh, uh, finance, uh, you have an MBA, you got your uh, CFP uh, credentials. Tell me a little bit how all of those things have played a, a role into sort of where you are today. Yeah. yeah, I think it's critical for everyone to be a lifelong learner. Um, and if someone ever thinks they've arrived, man, they're selling themselves short. And so we so highly value education. So um, I had a love for finance and investing all the way back into my junior high years, if you will. So that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade time period. I was really encouraged by a mentor in my life, a small business owner, to really take that love um, and do it in a way that made a larger impact in people's lives. And so that's what drove me, I think, as far as for my undergraduate with a degree and a bachelor's degree in both accounting and finance, and uh, just kind of started heading down that path. Then got married to the love of my life and high school sweethearts and uh, been married now, got married in 1991. So we've been married for a goodness 32 years and 
uh, started expanding our family and had children and and plus starting a business. It just it's as hard, you know, everyone knows that. And so that I had a desire to head straight to grad school uh, pretty young, and we had to delay that, quite honestly. And so I um, ended up picking my MBA kind of mid-career. And I really, is so interesting, Stan, it, I think it was actually worked out so much better for me uh, because I actually had the ability to take the real world and the things that I was learning, apply it into real situations. Um, as related to our organization and how to bring about larger impact in the lives of people. And it actually shaped where we're at now and what we do. We help good people make great decisions to live incredible lives. Um, we just boil it down to that little phrase. So it shaped me. It changed who I was as an individual. So as I got older, I developed a lot more gray hair, and uh, which I always cut it short so people can't see. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, they always laugh at me in the office. But um, you know, I, I just really just thought, you know, I really want to hang out, and I want to have employees. We call them internal stakeholders, uh, partners here in our firm. That every single person that they love to learn, they love to sharpen one another, they love to challenge each other, that they all have advanced degrees or advanced certifications of some kind, and they don't stop pursuing um, education so we can all continually grow. So on staff, we have CFAs, uh, we have CPAs, we have CFPs, we have those with, you know, I have one fellow head of our advisory services, he has his um, master's in behavioral finance which is a mixture of both the finance, personal finance side along with psychology. And why? Well, it's like, why do we make the decisions that we make regarding our finances? And so we have really put together what I'm going to say more of an academic think tank um, in which we actually have more of a collegial working environment with our clients who are part of our firm, um, of which we sit together and we actually talk about things that are important to them but it's not just this, you know, up in the air conversation. It's actually real world, real life. What are the numbers? What are, what are the tax law? What are the changes um, as far as in your business structure? What are things that we can work with partners, other professionals that are specialists in certain areas to be able to help people make better holistic decisions to actually maximize the value of that hardware? I mean, think about the, the dental practitioner. Think about all the time they invested as far as in their education, all the hours of work and the time and sacrifice to build up their business. Well, now what's our role is to come alongside them along with other specialists uh, like Stan and his firm and to say, how do we actually work together to maximize all that investment, all that hard work into this practice so that you can have that true joy, contentment, satisfaction, and really that sense that you're accomplishing what it is you're created to accomplish on the personal side. In a nutshell, that's who we are. We're lifelong learners, and man, we get after it hard. That's great. That's great. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, I know there are various models for how uh, investment firms sort of charge fees to their clients. You know, some of it are, you know, commission-based sales based on, you know, if I sell you a certain stock or other investment vehicle, I make a commission. Some are a percentage of assets under management. Tell me a little bit about how your firm works specifically and what you see as the particular advantage of that approach. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a great question. Right now, there's so much. I want to say right now, the last five to seven years, so much discussion in this industry as far as um, what is a fiduciary? How should an individual be paid? And the reality is both of those actually come down 
to conflicts of interest. And so at the end of the day, I do not believe that there is any one particular way a person can be paid that is necessarily right or wrong. I think where things kind of get to where it is right or wrong is when there's not full disclosure and where the services and what is being charged, the value of, of what's being uh, the service and what's being charged, that they're not they're not congruent. They don't line up. And so um, for us, we always work with the client where they're at. So uh, we typically start with just that great conversation of what are those goal objectives? And we, we never charge to sit down and have a conversation. And we want to hear from people and stuff like that. But we really dig deeper. Once we find out what is the scope of work that we're doing that they want to work with us on, um, with most people, we have some level of a retainer or financial planning fee um, that we charge. And that's going to range anywhere from, I'm going to say $1,000 up to about $4,500. Uh, we do have some pretty extreme situations where we're doing a large amount of work where we're charging twenty dollars or $25,000 a year. Now, that's of a lot of complexity, managing multiple businesses for people, more like a family office concept, if you will, uh, in which we're, we're working with them in a lot of areas, but typically it's somewhere between $1,000 and $3,500. Now, once we walk through that, we walk through what are the specific recommendations that we have, and some of that may be that we're going to recommend that the client engage with us in certain other areas. So an example may be they may have assets that uh, inside their IRA or their 401k, they need to have actively managed for them uh, with a specialist, and they want to hire us to do that. If we work in that way, we charge a percentage of assets that we manage. Uh, that ranges from one half a percent um, all the way up to about 1.25%, depending upon the size of the relationship and the level of work we need to do. And we just walk through that at the beginning of the conversation. There are yeah. times where we do um, receive some level of payment from a company. And so that, and, and common terms is called a commission. Now, whenever we receive that, we have full disclosure on that. And so an example would be an individual, they have a long-term care risk in their family and they want to, and with their asset level, they want to protect that. So that might mean that we're going to recommend they use a, some type of a long-term care power insurance solution. Um, if so, that may pay some level of commission to the firm. We fully disclose that. If there's a need to have a split dollar arrangement inside of their dental practice um, as a way of protecting the practice and the individual, uh, that may pay a commission. If we happen to use some life insurance, we use fee-based products and where we receive a financial planning or, or fee for the work on that product. Other ones, that's not available. So when they pay a commission to the firm, we simply walk through that. Or if somebody has a split dollar as an example and um, they're getting into their career, they don't need that. Uh, instead, they just want to get rid of the policy and let it lapse. Well, we may take that policy and uh, go back to insurance companies and see if some of the insurance companies may want to buy that policy back for a level of cash. And if so, that may pay some level of consulting fee. So we have we have flexibility in that stand, but it usually starts with a certain level of financial planning fee that's paid on a retainer basis uh, between $1,000 and $3,500. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, you know, what I hear you describe is that it's not an either or approach, that it's really kind of blended based on the circumstances and needs of the of the client. And I think the critical thing that you described from my point of view is the disclosure question, that if you're earning commissions by selling a, a commission loaded product, there's full disclosure to the client and they know and understand what they're getting and why. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. All the all the positive negatives out there. And I, you know, it's interesting. I think we had the, um, the Department of Labor really push what's called the fiduciary rule um, a number of years ago. And so uh, a number of folks in the industry said, hey, we're going to hop on that bandwagon and we're yeah. going to use this word fiduciary as a marketing term. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. And you're, you're seeing that all the time uh, right. in terms of these large firms that are advertising to the general public. Uh, yeah trying to make those distinctions. Right. And so the, by definite, by law in all 50 states, um, an insurance agent, someone you work with to buy insurance, they are a fiduciary by law, but they're a fiduciary of the insurance company, not a fiduciary of the individual. <laughs> Some folks may say that a true fiduciary never receives any commissions. They only charge financial planning fees and asset management fees. But within that could be a conflict of interest if you think about it. Let's say they have a million dollars inside of their um, inside their investment accounts, having a management fee of one percent, as an example. And then all of a sudden they're doing financial planning. And the person says, "Hey, um, I want to buy a piece of farmland. It's going to take five hundred thousand dollars. Should I just use cash from the account, or should I use borrow the money at this high interest rate?" Well, that's a conflict of interest because if they pull the five hundred grand out of the managed account to pay for the farmland purchase, guess what? That advisor just took a one-half cut in pay. Well, if right. they don't disclose that con possible conflict of interest in their recommendation, they just violated their fiduciary duty. So it's critical to work with someone that truly is a fiduciary. Well, that comes from full disclosure. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, I understand that your wife works with you in the firm and uh, presumably she brings certain assets to the table. Talk to me a little bit about uh, about that relationship and, you know, what she brings that's uh, unique and special for your clients that uh, perhaps uh, yeah. you yourself don't provide. Yeah, so we actually a step further. We have uh, Stacy and I, we've been married 32 years and uh, owned this business and ran it together. Um, goodness, I'm going to say for at least, we've owned it together for 32, but we've ran it for the last 20 together. And so we have our three boys that we uh, have the privilege to raise and and really released well into young adulthood. So happy for all of them. And two of them actually work for us. And so they all have their own um, undergraduate and grad degrees. They're all uh, high level performers and we have a certain standard. And, you know, we kind of have taken a different approach. And so some folks say, well, it's a family business. And we flip that phrase upside down and say, well, no, we're actually a business family. And so a family business means that the business is there for the solely for the benefit of the family. And so within that, there might be a lot of family conflict, some drama going on. And we say, no, we're first and foremost a business that just happens to have four family members that work for it. And so we run as a true organization. And we have, Stacey and I have had the, this, the joy in our industry to speak um, a number of times on how in the world do you guys run a successful, growing, thriving business with impact and stay married. And so we, uh, Stacy said it well, she has got a very unique skill set. Um, she's a phenomenal logic based organizer. And so she really has that knows myself and uh, yeah. compensates for a lot of my deficiencies. <laughs> for sure. And so she has that phenomenal way to actually look at that and to run the organization. And then that sets me up to where I'm really the visionary and I'm the mentor and the relationship individual uh, with the firm. And so what we have said is, hey, uh, we, the four of us work extremely hard and everyone sees that. But what it is, is we have chosen to, uh, number one, 
not the business is not a marriage. Um, it is a business. Uh, we all recognize each other's roles and responsibilities, and we stay in our own lane. And yeah. so Stacy has as uh, her role as our chief operations officer. You know, there's times where her and I disagree on a decision, um, but she recognizes my role as the um, CEO is to make the ultimate final decisions. Um, and so she turns that over to me, even though she may disagree with the decision. And then whenever we leave, we don't take it with us. And um, there's times when that's hard, but we have found that's really how our business actually grows and operates the best. And so for us, I think it's recognizing skill set, it's recognizing weaknesses and strengths in each other, being open about that. One thing we did stand, I think was kind of interesting, we, um, I set it up, we're all 25 of our staff members. Uh, we have a, what's called a 360 degree review at the end of the year. Um, but with that, well, what I mean by that is uh, we have a conversation and everything is open to be discussed as an individual conversation with everybody, as long as we're respectful. Um, and so in doing that, we have full transparency. Um, we have full communication. And what it's done, though, it's helped sharpen us as leaders for Stacy and I. It's made us um, stronger leaders. It's made us um, more relatable in our organization to help each of our individuals walk through things. And I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time listening and talking with different um, folks in leadership development and this. And, you know, I came across that interview, um, goodness, it was probably about four weeks ago. And the individual was saying within every organization, there is different levels of anxiety. And you may think, hey, all my staff is great. You know, I've got whatever, my hygienist, I've got my uh, business people, I have my front desk reception people. Everyone is really smiling and is having a good time. 65% of every single employee is bringing a level of personal anxiety into the office. And if we don't recognize that, we're failing as leaders. And so with the culture that we have built here within our, within our, our business family, is that we have open and transparency and we all stay in our own lanes and that's helped us actually grow. That's great. That's great. One of the questions I had for you, is there kind of a, a threshold asset amount for somebody to become a client of Creekmore or do you work with somebody that's, you know, kind of that young dentist just starting out, doesn't necessarily have a lot of accumulated assets, but, you know, wants to kind of get on a, a path with uh, some professional advice and counsel to sort of help them uh, achieve uh, their mid and longer term goals. Yeah, so we have resisted um, by consultants pressure for us to have an account minimum or revenue minimum. And I believe that all people have got big dreams. And so as long as someone says, hey, um, I've got some objectives I wanna accomplish and I'm willing to listen to wise counsel, uh, we don't ask counsels wise. You can go on into the internet and find a whole bunch of um, babbling idiots talking about things. That's not wise. But as long as you're willing to listen to wise counsel um, and you have goal objectives you want to accomplish and you will diligently apply your hand, well, then that's kind of that minimum barrier of entry to get into our firm. And so asset size or income is not uh, what we're looking at, um, but it's really do we have a desire to listen to wise counsel and, and implement to accomplish big goals? That's great. Um, John, I've taken uh, a ton of your time. Uh, I think we're sort of approaching uh, the, the close here. Two final questions, I guess. One is, are there any other sort of pearls of wisdom that uh, you think are important to share? And then secondarily, 
you know, I think it would be a good idea maybe if you uh, shared with our, our listeners how they can get a hold of uh, Creekmore. You know, if someone likes what they hear in today's conversation and uh, would like to learn more and potentially explore a relationship, how would they go about that? Yeah, so I'll tell you the first one. I believe everything begins with the end in mind. And so I would encourage really to start asking yourself just those big questions of what is it we're really uh, wanting to accomplish? Uh, what things are really near and dear to us? And I encourage you, if you're, um, if you're in a committed relationship, so if you're married or you have a, a partner in a strong relationship together, is to ask yourself those questions. But to remember, we all use maybe the same words. We just have a different definition. And so make sure we're asking that next question. And sometimes that next question is why. And so um, I'd say that that's a, something that I've had to learn. And I really am still learning every day. Um, is to have those deeper discussions about what we want to accomplish. And then from there, you set your financial resources to accomplish them. If you do it backwards and set the financial resources first, you might be heading down the wrong path and not even aware of it. You know, as far as as far as connection with us, um, you know, the simplest way, I wish I had a simple name like Smith, um, but I don't, I have Creekmer. And so, which I'm very thankful for my heritage, but um, the best way to find us is uh, definitely online. And uh, if you pull up Creekmer Wealth, that's C-R-E-E-K-M-U-R wealth.com, uh, you'll be able to find us. And, uh, and actually, you can probably find me pretty much all over the internet when it's doing a search for my name, John Creekmer. Uh, so creekmerwealth.com. And we have offices, um, goodness gracious, in Ohio and Chicagoland, two other in Illinois, Dallas, Texas, Avon, Colorado. Uh, phenomenal advisors there, but we do a lot of meetings with folks in all 50 states. Super, super. Uh, John, again, thanks so much. I think a ton of really great content here. This has uh, been very useful from uh, my perspective, and I think ultimately will be helpful to the people that I hope will be listening to this. I use a third-party firm to help me with these podcasts. They dress up the recording with some intro music and some other things. Once that's accomplished, I'm sure they'll make a, a copy of a uh, recording available to you. In the meantime, if you have any questions, I'm uh, Stan at everythingdso.com. Certainly uh, don't hesitate to contact me. Yep. Appreciate it, Stan. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. This has been Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners. We hope you gain valuable insights and practical wisdom that will guide you on your journey to success with your practice. To visit Stan Kinder on the web, go to www.everythingdso.com. If you found today's episode helpful, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an opportunity to hear brilliant insights from dental industry insiders. Remember, whether you're planning your next strategic move, seeking ways to enhance your practice's value or dreaming of expanding your dental empire, we're here to guide you on your way to success.